Praise the Lord. How many have experienced the true amazingness of God? When you've been there and you knew it was only God who could intervene. There was no other way but a touch from the Almighty God. I think tonight we should stop just a minute and lift our hands and say, God, I just want to praise you. I remember the time that I needed your amazing touch. And you came down and you touched me. You healed me. You gave me strength. You lifted me when I had no hope. Lord, you gave me a friend when I had no friend. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, I love you and exalt you today. Thou, O oh Lord, art great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, this is the day the Lord hath made. And we get to make up our minds. Will I rejoice and be glad in it? And I've learned if I'll start out my day and say, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice. I'm going to have a made up mind. I'm going to be glad in it. It changes the whole outlook and it changes everything that goes on the whole day through. Hallelujah. God is great. He is greatly to be praised. And when we will do that, all power in heaven and earth becomes available at our fingertips. If we only would understand, He wants to do it all through you. He wants to do it all through me. When He said greater things than these shall you do, He was talking to the church. He wasn't just talking to those 12 apostles. He was talking to the church. And he said, it carries on. Greater things than these shall you do. If you will have the faith and you will have the boldness to step out, it can happen. Amen. It can happen. It is not just something we talk about. It is truth. It is power. Thank you, Jesus. Well, thank you for standing Thank you, praise team. You know, it always makes a difference. Even the prophets of old, they'd have them come and sing praises to usher in the power of God before they'd stand to prophesy, before they'd stand to give the word from the Lord. They had them worship first. And it's great when you have a praise team that will worship and usher in the presence of the Lord. It makes it a lot easier. Amen. It gets our hearts and our minds ready to accept and to be moved on and to be changed by the power and anointing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you, praise team. You may be seated. Let's keep her in prayer. The Bible quiz team, Brother Sister Dornbach, Brother Foster, they're all up in Wisconsin. It was 85 degrees there today, so they're not going to do too much, even though they're way up north. They're up there by the Great Lakes, though, so it's pretty windy along Lake Michigan there. So let's keep them in prayer this week. When Brother Dornbach stood up here the first of the year, and he made the comment, I don't know where we're going from here, but we're on a journey. And God spoke to me right there, and he said, you need to talk about the obstructions in the journey. And there's things that we're going to run into. But I feel on my heart tonight, and I feel the Holy Ghost, that by the time we're done tonight, they're not going to bother us no more. We're going to take a look at them and say, God is bigger than you. My God can do it. How many have ever flown in an airplane? Not everybody. I'm a licensed pilot, believe it or not. Probably take a 747 to get me up these days, but I'm a licensed pilot. I'm not going to jump in no ultralight like I used to and try to fly it around. She just, it just probably wouldn't work out so good. I might land a little faster and harder than I like. But I have found out you can fly over the mountains and depends on what altitude you are, how big they look. And a while back, 
the Magruders wrote a song that says, your mountain is just a hill from heaven's point of view. Sometimes we have to stop and say, you know what? If my problem's looking too big, I'm getting a little close to it. I'm focusing on it too hard. You know, you can take a penny and blind yourself and not see nothing, depending on how close you get it to your eye. But when you take it away, it don't look like nothing anymore. And we have to change the way we look at things. We have to change the way we think about things. And we will, when we'll change that, that's the point in time when our whole attitude toward it all will change. In the Bible, everybody that went on a trip, whether it was Abraham, whether it was the children of Israel, whether it was the blind man when God told him, go wash the mud off your eyes in a pool of Siloam. They had a journey to take. And until they reached the end of that journey, they did not see the promise God had for them. Where God healed the blind man at, he had a little over two miles to walk down steps and steps and steps. Actually, elevation change of about 300 feet. He had to go down to get to the pool of Siloam to wash his eyes out to see. When you look at Abraham, he took off. God said, I want you to go leave your family and go. Abraham took his nephew with him. And until his nephew was out of the picture, God could not give Abraham the promises he had for him. Until he would step out and do it. Same thing with Jacob. When Jacob left Laban and took Rachel and Leah with him. Until the relationships that he should not have had. The Bible says he went over, he prayed, and he had the dream of the angels. And he wrestled the angel all night long. And it touched his, it touched his hip. And it came out of joint. And he, he limped from there on. But shortly after that, his nursemaid died. How many of you know a 40-year-old man that needs a nursemaid around? Something's kind of messed up here. You know, I guarantee you, Brother Kevin starts saying, Mama Baba, you're going to look around. He wants to start getting his bottle back. There's a problem. And until the relationships got straightened out, the promises couldn't come into fruition. There was a blocking point. There was something, a hindrance there. And most of the time, the hindrances are our attitude about things, or our outlook about things. You ever hear somebody say, well, I'm doing this just because of principle. It's the principle of it. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, it's more just your pride than the principle of it. It's more just you, sometimes we just get so bullheaded we won't let it go. And there's no reason to hold on to it. I have come to the conclusion when the Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin that thus so easily beset you, Pentecost's most besetting sin is nothing more than offense that they hold. That's the offense. That's, a, that's what gets us down. That's the most besetting sin in a Pentecostal church. I'm just a young man, but I've seen it for 62 years now. And person after person, people leave the church and can't even remember why because I seen them leave the church because the piano wasn't sitting on the side of the pulpit they thought it should sit on. You know, there's been a lot of things and people lost out because of pride, because of their bullheadedness that had made no sense. You know, when you get my age and older, we kind of look back at what's going on and see some of the young people doing things and just shake our heads and say, why in the world? Or what in the world? Our Lord, help us. Because it, there's just no sense to us. It makes no sense to us. And you think about what God must think as he looks down at us. 
And he says, oh, my Lord. You know, 14 people in the Bible went through this, and you're trying to do it too. Can't you read? Can't you understand anything? There's a reason you don't put peanut butter and lemon juice on a sandwich. I guarantee you, you see someone pull out the peanut butter and the lemon juice and start making a sandwich, you're going to look at them. Unless somebody here likes that stuff. I, I don't even know what it might taste like. But when we start to look at the promises of God, we have to partake of them before we're going to understand them. When we come into the church, there's some things we learn. But one of the greatest things we have to do, if we are going to move on, if we are going to see the promises of God come into fruition, and I'm going to talk to you about some things he talked to me about. When I sat there at the five-fold ministry, I sat there and God said, why ain't you ministering this way? I gave you this. And I said, I'm tired of looking at people and not listening. I'm tired of people just getting mad when I tell them the truth. I'm not very diplomatic. If I, God tells me to tell you something, I'll just tell you. I don't beat around the bush. I just tell you. Brother Dornbach sometimes says, can't you say it a little nicer? I said, I said it nice. God said, you're stupid. <laughs> you know, what, I can say a lot of different things. Or God says, you're a liar. You know, what, what do you say? How do you change it? You know, there's different words you can say. I understand that. But when you look at the prophets of old and how Jesus talked to people, when he looked at the Pharisee, what did he say? You're a dried up dead man, you viper. That's what he said. How would you like it if Brother Dornbach said, hey, you're a viper. You're a backstabbing viper. You talk about people. It makes God sick. You know, how would you feel? But we're in a day and age now that if we are going to follow after what God wants... We've got to put our little pettiness aside. We've got to say, I am going to follow after Jesus. I don't care what comes against me. I'm going to follow after him. If he gives me direction, I'm going to take the direction. And I'm going to go on. Because I know following after his direction is where my strength is. For some, they'll listen you ever had someone say, yeah, you're right, yeah, you're right, yeah, you're right. Yep, nothing changes. You're so right, but I'm not doing it anyway. They say the definition of insanity is keep doing the same thing and think, and think you're going to get a different result. We was building a church, and I was about 14 years old. And there was a man there, his name was Brother Larson, and he had two boys, and all of them, the elevator missed the first top, top couple floors. And he was pounding the nail, and he hit the nail, and he hit his thumb. And he goes, you dirty thing, you want that, take it again. And he smashed his thumb again. I looked at my dad, and I said, you might want to send them home. They're going to hurt themselves. But, you know, and we look at that and think, you know, that's not very wise. But when I start to see things happen in the church and how people are doing things, they're doing the same thing. They don't understand. I got hurt, but I, I, think, I think if I do this over, I won't get hurt this time. I'm sorry. You're going to get hurt a little worse. But God puts us in tests, and we have to pass those tests. And once we pass those tests, we can move on. Sunday, Brother Dornbach talked about the pursuit of something. There's a man years ago, read a book, he wrote a book. His last name was Clark. And he made a statement in that book, and I've 
thought about it many times, and I've tried to address it in my life. And the statement is this. Your reach must always be farther than your grasp. You must always be reaching for more than you got a hold of. There's more out there. If I can get a hold of this, I can go on. And when I have my reach farther than my grasp, I can be in pursuit of God. I can be in pursuit of the things of God, and I can be in pursuit of what God wants. If you'd open up your Bibles tonight to Hebrews, the third chapter, we're going to start there. Hebrews chapter number three. I don't know how long I'll have wind for this, but I'm going to do my best. But Hebrews chapter number three, starting at verse number 16, says, For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Ever been around somebody who just provoked? They enjoyed provoking. They were miserable themselves, so they wanted you miserable with them. Albeit, not all that come out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom aware he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not, they didn't believe, so they were carcasses in the wilderness. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. We are headed for a journey that's going to top journeys you've ever been on. But what God has in store is going to top a lot of things you've ever seen too. As God was talking to me, he showed me something. He showed me a hand that was all withered up. And I looked at that hand and I realized it was the right hand. The one that's supposed to have all the power that was all withered up. Here's what he said. He said, because of the hurt, the hand of power has been withered. But I am now healing it. And it will stretch forth and the power will return. And we've been seeing as it opened up and the power of God began to move. And the hurt's been getting healed. And people have been able to move on and go forward. When you read in Mark, you see that Jesus healed the withered hand. But when you begin to read about the account in Luke, the physician, he makes it very clear it is the right hand that Jesus healed, that was withered, that stretched forth. And the hand of power can now go on. And God has released under the church the hand of power that it can go forth now. The hindrances have been put down. They are no longer going to be accountable. You can let them stop you if you want to. Or you can just say, I rebuke you, get out of my way. Last year, I had a fun year. I had a fun one. I died like six times. I've been shocked enough times that they're going to make me part of the electric company. They call me Sparky. They've shocked me like 14 times now. Sometimes at six and 700 jewels where I picked this fat boy right up off the table and put him in the air because I had to get my heart going. It wouldn't get going again. But God took care of me. I was sitting over here when this young lady, I won't say Sister Diana's name, but this young lady come over to talk to me. And she said, you shall not die. That day I left church I went home, I went to walk up my steps and could not breathe, and down I went. They got me to the hospital, started shocking me. They'd shock me. I remember I'd hear them say, we got a pulse, we're losing them. We got a pulse, we're losing them. And for hours I couldn't even see nothing. My, the blood had left my eyes, I couldn't even see. And I was laying there, Sister Diana, I was laying there going, 
Does she know what she's talking about? That's honest truth. You just be on that table you can't see and you don't know if you're going to live the next minute or not. But I'll be honest with you. All at once I said, I shall not die. I'm not going to die. And about the fourth time they whapped me, my heart stayed beating. Then they started working on other things. But there comes a time when you either got to stop and say, regardless of the circumstance I'm facing, my God has given me a promise. I'm going to grab a hold of it. I'm going to go forward. Nobody's taking it from me. But when you're traveling, when the Israelites were traveling, they left the land of Egypt. It was only 11 days' journey over to Canaan. They spent 40 years going in a circle around Mount Nebo until God said, you have encompassed this mountain long enough. Joshua, take them out of here. But you can spin circles or you can believe the promise and go forward and go direct to where you're headed. 11 days they could have been there. 11 days if the, if the children of Israel would have just did a couple things. Number one, what did they come to? They left Egypt, came to the Red Sea. You're just going to kill us. But God had to take them to the Red Sea. The Passover took the firstborn, and now he had to kill those who could be their slavers because they could never put me back into slavery again. So they cross the Red Sea, and God drowns them. Next thing they come to is the bitter waters of Marah. Well, brackish water in the desert is water that is very high in calcium and magnesium. You can drink it. It will not make you feel so good. You will get what they call acute dysentery. And dysentery is not cute. But you will find out what acute means. And when it's all over, you'll be happy it is. But what it was meant for, God took them there. Because it was meant for the same thing when we repent of our sins and go down in Jesus' name. It washes the old man away. And God took them tomorrow because he wanted them to drink so it would flush all the taste for Egypt out of them. If you notice from that time forward, every time something happened, take us back. The leeks and the garlics of Egypt were better than this. Take us back. Because they had a taste for Egypt in it. And if we will get the sin out of us, we won't have a taste to go back. We can go forward. So we come to the bitter waters of Mara, and if we'll partake of them, understanding that may not feel so good, it may not be no fun. But on the other side, I'm going to have a victory that nobody can take away from me. I'm going to go forward and nobody can stop me. God is going to lead me, and I can obey without having any fear. So they leave the bar of it, and God had to tell Moses, okay, throw the willow branch in. The water will get sweet, and now we're going to fight for 40 years. See, God has a will and a purpose. He will change his will, but his purpose will be accomplished. I had a brother that stood up in church at 21 years old, on a Sunday night and fell over dead. They began to pray for him. He came back to life. They took him to the hospital. He had a massive brain tumor. They decided to take the brain tumor out. When they took the brain tumor out, his brain sat down on the brain stem. And he went into convulsions. And the doctor looked at my mother and dad. And they said, get him a one-way ticket to Sydney, Australia. He's never coming back. Well, my dad was very good friends with Brother Bill Sisko. He called Brother Cisco and said, I got a problem. I need you to come. Brother Cisco came. He walked in that hospital room, him and my dad, laid hands on him, started quoting verses of the Bible. And Jeff went out of convulsions and began to lay still. He took his hand off and started again. The second time he'd done it, he heard my dad's grandma and Brother Cisco said, what happened? He said, an angel just walked in, put his hand on Jeff's head. Everything's going to be all right. My son's going to be healed. Next morning, he'd been in a coma now for a month. Next morning, the nurses walked in, 
And as they do, he said, good morning, Jeff. And Jeff said, good morning. I'm hungry. I want some milk and cookies. The nurse ran out screaming, Jeff's awake, Jeff's awake. The doctor said, I don't believe it. He went in and he said, okay. Jeff came home. Seven days later, he was home. Amen. But there was something that happened when that boy was in the hospital. From 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock every morning, all his stats would go to normal. And everybody was trying to figure it out. When Jeff woke up, they said, Jeff, what was going on? He said, don't you know that's my prayer time? I couldn't meet with Jesus, so he came and met with me. When you're faithful unto God, he'll be faithful unto you. No matter what the circumstances are, he will be there for you. Jeff got out. He got better. He got married. Had a little boy. On Friday, me and him were going to Eau Claire, a little town not too far from us. And he said, you know, I'm going home now. And I said, what? He said, I'm not going to be here long. I'm going to go home now. God's told me. He had told his wife, I'm going home now. Four days later, Jeff was the youth pastor. He got in his car. We were playing Rook. And my dad was sitting there, and Jeff was standing there holding his little boy. That little boy, Shane, has preached here before. And dad said, Jeff, that little boy's looking like you, more like you every day. And Jeff said, yeah, he's getting good looking, ain't he? They got in the car. Five minutes later, the phone rang. It was Mrs. Moore, and she said, you better come. Your brother's been in the wreck. And I got there just in time to lay my sister-in-law back and put a coat over my dead brother's head. He was gone. Because it was God's will to take, it was God's purpose to take him. But when people had faith, God changed his will, healed that boy and brought him out. But the purpose of God still went on. We can change the will of God, but we will never change the purpose of God. So when we learn how to accept his purpose and follow after his will, we take a shortcut. But doing that, we go through different things. My mother and dad didn't want to let Jeff go until the time come they had no choice but to let him go. At his funeral, seven people got filled with the Holy Ghost. There was tongues interpretation, and God spoke through Brother Bill Sisko and said, I've called my son home. Don't be weary. Don't grieve. He's went home. To let him know all is well. And I learned at that young age of 17 years old that God does all things well. Regardless of what we think, regardless of how it may look to us, God does it well. He knows what he's doing. Everything's going to be all right when we turn it over to Jesus. But when we start on a journey, and when you're on a journey like the children of Israel, there comes a time when you've got to learn how to fight to take over a land. But the Bible says that we don't fight against flesh and blood. But we fight against principalities and powers in high places. And how can you fight in the spiritual realm without the armor of God on you and without knowing how to use it? You hand someone a gun who does not know how to shoot. Hide. I wanted to teach my wife how to shoot just after we got married. We had a house that had an above-ground swimming pool. There was a stump over here about 20 feet, and I handed her the pistol, and I said, shoot the stump. Okay, boom, right through the swimming pool. I said, you hit the swimming pool. I don't like shooting, and I told you that. Okay, we won't do this again. She got her point across real fast. But when you got a weapon and you don't know how to use it, it can be more of a hindrance than a weapon. And we got the armor of God and we don't know how to use it. It can hinder us more than it can help us. So we got to learn how to use it because we will never win the battle without it.
There's a reason God gives us the armor he gave us. But we must have it because we're on a journey to promise. We're on a journey to see things that we've never seen before. Who remembers a year ago that young lady came and she began to prophesy and she told this church that the LGBT, whatever it is, community was going to start coming in our doors. How many remember that? And the church has to be ready for it because that's a whole new dimension. I don't know how yet I will react when they want to hug me. I think I'll say, let's shake hands. But it's, a, it's something that we have to be ready for. It's something we better start learning how to use our armor for. You look at the obstacles that the children of Israel went through, and they changed after they started complaining about the food. When they got the manna all at once, they wanted meat. And they got all more meat than what they wanted, and they got sick. But then they, got, then they ran into, they had to get the golden calf when Moses went up on the mountain. And then they got the serpents, and the serpents, and they had to look up on the serpent on the cross to be healed. Just one thing after another. Nothing could satisfy them because they were not truly excited about the journey God had them on. They wanted everything easy. Everything's not going to be easy. <clears throat> but everything is going to be very powerful. <clears throat> now here's what God told me. I'm just going to tell you just how he told it to me. Is that okay? Like I said, I'm not the most diplomatic thing in the world. I was raised on a dairy farm. The cows didn't care what I said. But I was actually surprised when our offer was not accepted for that church. And I'll tell you why I was surprised. Because God told me, he said, I have buildings for you you have not built. And I have a harvest for you that you did not sow. If you will be ready for it. But you're going to have to learn to conquer the prince of the city. The only way you can battle is with the armor of God. Ephesians talks about the armor of God. It says, put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Let's stop right there for a minute. Why do the loins have to be girt about with truth? Because anything you reproduce is going to reproduce whatever is in your loins. I cannot have children that don't look like me. You look at both of my girls, you will see Schultz in them. Even though Jackie has a cousin that if you stood them side by side, they look identical. From, her, from Rachel's brother. But whatever you are, you're going to reproduce. So if you don't have truth, and truth is not what you stand on, truth is not what you walk in, truth is not what you stand in, truth is not what you say, truth is not what you think, you're going to reproduce a lie. When you got your, your loins girt about with truth, you will reproduce truth. People who have revelation, people who have understanding, people who will take impartation, people who will take admonishment to be right with God. But if you don't have your loins girt about with truth, 
Then you get people who are bullheaded that won't listen to nothing. They're stubborn. And all you do is waste time with them most of the time. I'm not pointing no fingers. Don't get mad at me. But let's go on. If you got your loins girt about with truth, they say, having on the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. I am walking right. I am talking right. I am living right. There's a word called submission that we like to use. Oh, be submissive. Well, do you understand what submission means? Jesus come to this earth to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his full reason to come and shed his blood, to seek and to save that which is lost. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance and to the full understanding of God. Okay, we are his disciples. We are subs to his mission. If we are going to be part of his submission, we must take on the mission of God. Therefore, we must take on the attributes of God with it to be able to serve out the mission. When somebody says you're not submissive, it means you're not walking with God the way you know to. Someone says, I will do it when I understand it. Well, I thought to tell you something, honey. You're never going to understand it until you do it. God does not give revelation to someone who won't take it. God gives revelation to someone who will be obedient with it. Revelation is one of the greatest things God gives to us. It opens our eyes to see. It allows us to have a mindset and change our will to go forth in the steps of the guard. David said it. He said, my steps are ordered by God. They are ordered by God because we are a sub to his mission. We follow after him. He tells us how to walk. He tells us how to talk. He tells us how to live. He tells us what to do. He tells us what not to do. And I found out it's a lot cheaper to do what he says. It's a lot easier on you to do what he says. You don't get ulcers doing what he says. Someone says, oh, they got ulcers. I said, man, they got way too much unfinished business in their life. But the gifts of God are given unto us that we can prevail and be submissive to him, being his submission. A preacher is called to be a sub to his mission, to seek and to save them that are lost. Then he commissions us, and he says, Go ye therefore into all the world, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is in the name of Jesus. Someone says, Well, always the Bible say, Believe and you shall be saved, because when you believe something, you obey it. If you believe the speed limit is 55 miles an hour, when you come over that hill and the highway patrol sitting there, you're not going to get to meet them. But if you aren't obeying, you're going to get to meet them. He's going to want you to go ahead and give you his autograph, everything. There's a lot of benefits in obeying God. And there's a lot of problems in not obeying God. Somebody said, haven't you ever drank? I said, no, I didn't need a drink. I was crazy enough without it. Just what I told him. And my dad said, that's the truth. My dad's favorite word to me for years, I would do something, and his favorite word to me was this, you're a foolish boy. He understood the rest of the story. He understood the foolishness was not going to get me where I need to be. I could go ahead and be foolish, but I was going to pay for it. There's nothing free in life. And the power of God is not free either. But if you'll obey and submit yourself onto his mission, in your song every day, 
has got the change to say the old song, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. On earth I long just to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, I only long to be like him. And day by day we strive to know God, to be like God. But we learn how to use the armor. David went to fight King Saul. And Saul said, why do you think you can fight that giant? He said, because I kept my father's sheep. When the bear came, I killed the bear. When the lion came, I killed the lion. I kept my father's sheep. What was he saying? He, said, he was saying, I didn't hide. and let, Oh, the bear's just going to take one. It don't really matter. Yes, it does matter, my friend. You better let not, nothing go of your holiness. You better not let nothing go of your walk with God. Because that devil's going to be back tomorrow and take another one. And the next day for another one. And pretty soon you're going to have an empty corral with no sheep left. So when David said, I kept my father's sheep, he was saying, I stood and I fought. Even though it might be over one little lamb, I said, no, I will stand up. And he said, so I know I can go out to this giant and I can fight. Saul said, here, put on my armor. David puts it on and he looks at Saul and he says, I can't wear your armor for I have not proved it. We are in a day and an age when we are going into a fight, church. You better learn how to prove your armor. You better learn how to use your armor. It's time you better get on your knees and say, God, I need you to go before me. I need you to help me. I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. You better be ready to stand up and say, no, I will not give you one sheep. I understand it me just, oh, it's just one little sheep. No, it's not. It's the livelihood of my family. It's what's going to keep them through the desolate time. It's the thing that's going to nourish them. It's the thing that's going to hold them. It's the thing that's going to keep them from starving. The prophet Nathan, he came to David. He said, David, there was a rich man. And the traveler came. And the rich man went and he stole the sheep of the poor man next door. He butchered that sheep and he fed it to that traveler. And then the traveler got up the next morning and he left. But now the poor people do not have their sheep anymore. Their children played with that sheep. And what did David say? Who art this man? I will kill him. And the prophet looked at him and said, David, you're the man. You're the man for what you did with Uriah. You're the man. Well, let me tell you something. There's been some travelers come into our lives at times and got us to steal somebody's sheep and give it to them. And then we would thought it was just troubling that they would be upset at us. But every sheep we have is a gift from God. For 20 years, I taught in prisons. I taught alcohol and drug chemical series with the United Pentecostal Church, and I taught anger management. I went and got certified, and I went in for 20 years. I was in prisons talking to those men. I prayed many of them through the Holy Ghost and baptized them in the name of Jesus in the prison cells. They couldn't get out. Some of them were in there for life, for murder, for rape. But I seen them cry, and I realized that some of them men are not really dumb. Fact is, I wouldn't be surprised if in some of them penitentiaries is a man that given a chance could, pro could come up with a cure for cancer because they're that smart. They just use their brains the wrong direction. But in doing that, I learned that one decision can flip you on your head. And that is why we must put on the helmet of salvation. So my decisions are in alignment with the word of God. My decisions are not going to change things. I'm going to have a different mindset. I'm going to think different. I'm going to act different. I'm going to talk different. The old farmer said when I got the Holy Ghost, even the cows knew I had the Holy Ghost. And when you're walking with God with all your being, 
Even your dog knows you're walking with God with all your being. There is no guesswork involved in it. And it says that your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When you have salvation and your feet want peace, so where you walk, you walk to peace. A fool runs after mischief. A child of the king runs after peace. A child of the king knows who they are and doesn't have to prove it to nobody. When you start getting around someone who wants to prove it and when you say something, they've always done something a little better, you know they're missing something. Their self-esteem has not been developed or something like that. And then he said, pick up the shield of faith that the darts of the enemy cannot get to you. What's the greatest weapon he gives us? The sword of the Spirit. That is the only weapon Jesus ever brought out against the enemy. Every time the enemy said, do something, he said, it is written. It is written. It is written. He backed the enemy down. Friend, we got to have thy word. Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? I've got to walk with him. I've got to know his word inside and out. Psalms 138.2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple. And praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above what? All thy name. When you understand the power in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every devil in hell must turn and run. At the name of Jesus, every disease must be, can be dried up and healed. But when you will stop and you will stand on his word, it has more power than even the name of Jesus. That's why Jesus said it is written. He didn't just say in the name of Jesus, Satan, I rebuke you. He said, no, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Tell me, you know, I will only worship the Lord. I will not worship you. And God only will I serve. Time after time, he just quoted the word of God. Romans 13, chapter number 12 says this, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light that we let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Say that again. Make not provision for the flesh. To fulfill the lusts thereof. When we say, when we stop and we want to take something and say, you know what? I just don't feel good about that. I don't feel right about that. Well, if the Word of God says it, you better feel right about it. Because if you start feeling wrong about it, your heart is going to take you down. Zechariah said it this way. He said, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? It'll mess you up. It'll spin you around. You won't know which way is up when he's done with you. Somebody said, oh, you think it makes that much difference? And I said, no, I don't think it does. I know it does. I've learned it makes the difference. The preacher was up on the side of the house, and he was nailing the shingles on the roof. Three, four days earlier, his boys had come home with the dog and said, Dad, can we keep the dog? And the dad said, well, you can keep the dog until somebody claims it. Next day in the paper, 
They seen an ad. And the ad said, looking for this dog. Well, the dad knew it was a dog, so he said, let's, let's, let's clip the dog. So he shaved all the hair off the dog. When the people come to look at the dog, they said, that ain't our dog. Our dog had long hair. And the preacher, sad words were that was the day we got a dog and I lost my kids. Your children, your grandchildren, your family are all watching every little thing you do. And God is watching every little thing we do. He has the building for us that we have not built, that we will walk into. He has a harvest for us that we did not sow, but we're going to step into. But he's not going to hand a garden over to somebody who's not willing to weed it. He's not going to hand a building over to someone who's not willing to maintain it. And he's not going to hand it over to someone who's unthankful. The musicians would come and you'd stand to your feet tonight. You look around and it may seem without a sense of direction that we don't know where you're going. But Job said it this way. He said, there is a path that the lion's whelp hath not trod, nor the vulture's eye hath seen. God is wanting us to step forth, take on the armor he has provided to us. He wants us to get on our knees, to push it back away from the table, and to learn how to walk with him, to open our ears to hear, to open our eyes to see, to let our spirits be touched by him in the revelation of him, that he can speak to us, and he knows when he speaks, we will obey. The Bible says, when Zion travails, she brings forth children. There is never children born without pain. There's never children born that someone has to endure it. In church, God has made up his mind to use his church to go forth. He has opened up the withered hand to give you power that you can take on the whole armor of God and you can begin to fight where others used to get beat down, you will not be beat down if you will walk with God. Little things go a long ways. God said, he who prays in secret, I will reward him openly. You do it in secret. Everybody does not have to be told about it. But God has a great work ahead. He has great miracles according to that work. But it's just like the children of Israel when they walked out of Egypt. They went into a desert, not knowing for sure where they were going. But all you had to do was lift up your eyes. There was a pillar of fire by night, and there was a cloud by day that I can follow after. I want to tell you here tonight, there's people in this, under the sound of my voice that have walked with God longer than I've been alive. There's people that haven't walked with God that quite that long but know how to follow after God. Tonight is our first steps. Are we going to go toward the promise? Lay doubt and fear aside. I'm going to learn how to use my armor. I'm going to learn how to throw up that shield of faith and knock every fiery doubt of the enemy down. I'm going to learn how to pull 
my sword of the Spirit and knock down every word of the enemy trying to be against me. I'm going to learn that the helmet of salvation has truth. I'm going to learn that if I will speak truth, walk in truth, that I will reproduce truth. I'm going to have a breastplate of righteousness around me that it cannot stab my heart or my vital organs and take me out. How do I get them? I get them with my face in the Word of God and my knees bent before Him. That's how I get them. And when I get them, I can arise and I can go forth without fear in my heart. Nothing turning me aside. And I will see the salvation of the Lord. All I can say is this. I preach to you what God has given me. I've told you the truth of what God has given me as, as close as I can to what he's put on my heart and what he's showed me in the vision he gave me for the church. Now it's up to you what will be your steps. I can work on my armor, but I can't fix yours. I can put my arm around you and say, let's walk together when you're having trouble. And that's what we have to do. If your brother falls, don't kick him. Put your arm around him. Lift him up and say, come on, we can walk together. If your sister falls, don't kick him. Put your arm around him. Pick him up and say, come on, we can walk together. Ain't nobody in this place perfect. You may think you are, and if you do, I'm sorry, but you're a fool. Because you're not perfect and neither am I. I need you and you need me. You know, just like in your walk, sometimes you get something sore and need something to help you along. And that's when we got to walk up to each other and say, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I'll walk with you. You need to talk to someone, give me a call. We'll pray together. We'll walk together. And it's up to this church. What is your choice? The old song says, what will your answer be? What will you say? Let me ask you tonight, church, what will your answer be? What will you say? Am I going to go forth? Learn how to use my armor and see the salvation of the Lord. Am I going to just keep going along with the status quo? And that's all we'll see. I want to see the salvation of the Lord. I want to see that harvest that I didn't sow. I want to see that building that I did not build. I don't want to be like Moses when he was up on Mount Nebo going to his death. And God said, Moses, look over there. Those are the vineyards I had for you. I can't give you. Those are the cities I was going to give you. I can't give you. I can't let you cross over because you didn't sanctify me. It's our choice. Will we sanctify ourselves? Will we put our pride and our ego aside and say, I will bend my knee. I don't care who sees me. I don't care who sees me cry. I don't care who sees me put things aside. I want to see the salvation of the Lord. It's my desire, God, to know you. Would you come tonight?